0: Chapter Fourteen Smith in the City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit com. Today's reading by Aaron Andrade. Chapter Fourteen. Mr. Waller Appears in a New Light. The department into which Mike was sent was the Cash or to be more exact, that section of it which was known as paying cashier. The important task of shooting doubloons across the counter did not belong to Mike himself, but to Mr. Waller. Mike's work was less ostentatious, and was performed with pen, ink, and ledgers in the background. Occasionally, when Mr. Waller was out at lunch, Mike had to act as substitute for him, and cash checks. But Mr. Waller always went out at a slack time when few customers came in, and Mike seldom had any very startling sum to hand over. He enjoyed being in the cash department. He liked Mr. Waller. The work was easy, and when he did happen to make mistakes, they were corrected patiently by the gray-bearded one, and not used as levers for boosting him into the presence of Mr. Bickersdyke, as they might have been in some departments. The cashier seemed to have taken a fancy to Mike, and Mike, as was usually the way with him when people went out of their way to be friendly, was at his best. Mike, at his ease and unsuspicious of hostile intentions, was a different person from Mike with his prickles out. Smith, meanwhile, was not enjoying himself. It was an unheard-of thing, he said, depriving a man of his confidential secretary without so much as asking his leave. "'It has caused me the greatest inconvenience,' he told Mike, drifting round in a melancholy way to the cash department during a slack spell one afternoon. I miss you at every turn. Your keen intelligence and ready sympathy were invaluable to me. Now where am I? In the cart. I evolved a slightly bright thought on life just now. There was nobody to tell it to except the new man. I told it to him and the fool gaped. I tell you, Comrade Jackson, I feel like some lion that has been robbed of its cub.' I feel as Marshall would feel if they took Snellgrove away from him, or as peace might be if he awoke one morning to find plenty gone. Comrade Rossiter does his best. We still talk brokenly about Manchester United. They got routed in the first round of the cup yesterday, and Comrade Rossiter is wearing black. But it is not the same. I try work, but that is no good either. From ledger to ledger they hurry me to stifle my regret. "'and when they win a smile from me, they think that I forget. "'But I don't. I am a broken man. "'That new exhibit they've got in your place "'is about as near to the extreme edge as anything I've ever seen. "'One of nature's blighters. "'Well, well, I must away. Comrade Rossiter awaits me.'" Mike's successor, a youth of the name of Bristow, was causing Smith a great deal of pensive melancholy. His worst defect, which he could not help, was that he was not Mike. His others, which he could, were numerous. His clothes were cut in a way that harrowed Smith's sensitive soul every time he looked at them. The fact that he wore detachable cuffs, which he took off on beginning work and stacked in a glistening pile on the desk in front of him, was no proof of innate viciousness of disposition, but it prejudiced the old Etonian against him. It was part of Smith's philosophy that a man who wore detachable cuffs had passed beyond the limit of human toleration. In addition, Bristow wore a small black mustache and a ring, and that, as Smith informed Mike, put the lid on it. Mike would sometimes stroll round to the postage department to listen to the conversations between the two. Bristow was always friendliness itself. He habitually addressed Smith as Smithy, a fact which entertained Mike greatly, but did not seem to amuse Smith to any overwhelming extent. On the other hand, when, as he generally did, he called Mike Mr. Cricketer, the humor of the thing appeared to elude Mike, though the mode of address always drew from Smith a pale, wan smile, as of a broken heart made cheerful against its own inclination. The net result of the coming of Bristow was that Smith spent most of his time, when not actually oppressed by a rush of work, in the precincts of the cash department, talking to Mike and Mr. Waller. The latter did not seem to share the dislike common among the other heads of departments of seeing his subordinates receiving visitors. Unless the work was really heavy, in which case a mild remonstrance escaped him, he offered no objection to Mike being at home to Smith." It was this tolerance which sometimes got him into trouble with Mr. Bickersdyke. The manager did not often perambulate the office, but he did occasionally, and the interview which ensued upon his finding Hutchinson, the underling in the cash department at that time, with his stool tilted comfortably against the wall, reading the sporting news from a pink paper to a friend from the outward bills department who lay luxuriously on the floor beside him, did not rank among Mr. Waller's pleasantest memories.' But Mr. Waller was too soft-hearted to interfere with his assistance unless it was absolutely necessary. The truth of the matter was that the new Asiatic bank was overstaffed. There were too many men for the work. The London branch of the bank was really only a nursery. New men were constantly wanted in the eastern branches, so they had to be put into the London branch to learn the business, whether there was any work for them to do or not. It was after one of these visits of Smith's that Mr. Waller displayed a new and unsuspected side to his character. Smith had come round in a state of some depression to discuss Bristow, as usual. Bristow, it seemed, had come to the bank that morning in a fancy waistcoat of so emphatic a color scheme that Smith stoutly refused to sit in the same department with it. What with comrades Bristow and Bickersdyke combined, said Smith plaintively, the work is becoming too hard for me. The whisper is beginning to circulate. Smith's number is up. As a reformer, he is merely among those present. He is losing his dash. But what can I do? I cannot keep an eye on both of them at the same time. The moment I concentrate myself on Comrade Bickersdyke for a brief spell and seem to be doing him a bit of good, what happens? Why? Comrade Bristow sneaks off and buys a sort of woolen sunset. I saw the thing unexpectedly. I tell you I was shaken. It is the suddenness of that waistcoat which hits you. It's discouraging, this sort of thing. I try always to think well of my fellow man. As an energetic socialist, I do my best to see the good that is in him. But it's hard. Comrade Bristow's the most striking argument against the equality of man I've ever come across.' Mr. Waller intervened at this point. ''I think you must really let Jackson go on with his work, Smith,'' he said. ''There seems to be too much talking.'' ''My besetting sin,'' said Smith sadly. ''Well, well, I will go back and do my best to face it, but it's a tough job.'' He tottered wearily away in the direction of the postage department. ''Oh, Jackson,'' said Mr. Waller, ''will you kindly take my place for a few minutes?'' "'I must go round and see the inward bills about something. "'I shall be back very soon.' "'Mike was becoming accustomed to deputizing for the cashier for short spaces of time. "'It generally happened that he had to do so once or twice a day. "'Strictly speaking, perhaps, Mr. Waller was wrong to leave such an important task "'as the actual cashing of checks to an inexperienced person of Mike's standing.' But the New Asiatic Bank differed from most banks in that there was not a great deal of cross-counter work. People came in fairly frequently to cash checks of two or three pounds, but it was rare that any very large dealings took place. Having completed his business with the inward bills, Mr. Waller made his way back by a circuitous route, taking in the postage desk. He found Smith with a pale set face inscribing figures in a ledger The old Etonian greeted him with the faint smile of a persecuted saint who is determined to be cheerful even at the stake. Comrade Bristow, he said. Comrade Bristow, he said. Hello, Smithy, said the other, turning. Smith sadly directed Mr. Waller's attention to the waistcoat, which was certainly definite in its coloring. Nothing, said Smith. I only wanted to look at you. "'Funny ass,' said Bristow, resuming his work. Smith glanced at Mr. Waller as who should say, "'See what I have to put up with, and yet I do not give way.' "'Oh, er," Smith,' said Mr. Waller, "'when you were talking to Jackson just now.' "'Say no more,' said Smith. "'It shall not occur again. "'Why should I dislocate the work of your department "'in my efforts to win a sympathetic word? "'I will bear Comrade Bristow like a man here.' "'After all, there are worse things at the zoo.' "'No, no,' said Mr. Waller hastily. "'I did not mean that. "'By all means, pay us a visit now and then, "'if it does not interfere with your own work. "'But I noticed just now that you spoke to Bristow as Comrade Bristow.' "'It is too true,' said Smith. "'I must correct myself of the habit. "'He will be getting above himself. "'And when you were speaking to Jackson, "'you spoke of yourself as a socialist.' ''Socialism is the passion of my life,'' said Smith. Mr. Waller's face grew animated. He stammered in his eagerness. ''I am delighted,'' he said. ''Really, I am delighted. I also... ''A fellow worker in the cause?'' said Smith. Uh, ''Exactly.'' Smith extended his hand gravely. Mr. Waller shook it with enthusiasm. ''I have never liked to speak of it to anybody in the office,'' said Mr. Waller. ''But I, too, am heart and soul in the movement.'' Yours for the revolution, said Smith. Just so, just so, exactly. I was wondering. The fact is, I am in the habit of speaking on Sundays in the open air, and... Hyde Park? No, no, Clapham Common. It is uh, handier for me where I live. Now, as you are interested in the movement, I was thinking that perhaps you might care to come and hear me speak next Sunday. Of course, if you have nothing better to do. "'I should like to excessively,' said Smith. "'Excellent! Bring Jackson with you, and both of you come to supper afterwards, if you will. "'Thanks very much.' "'Perhaps you would speak yourself?' "'No,' said Smith. "'No, I think not. My socialism is rather of the practical sort. "'I seldom speak, but it would be a treat to listen to you. "'What uh, what type of oratory is yours?' Oh, well, said Mr. Waller, pulling nervously at his beard. Of course I, well, I am perhaps a little bitter. Yes, yes, a little mordant and ironical. You would be, agreed Smith. I shall look forward to Sunday with every fiber quivering, and Comrade Jackson shall be at my side. Excellent, said Mr. Waller. I will go and tell him now. End of chapter 14